Hello, everybody. Good evening. Um, do me a favor, and if you're on tonight, uh, if you're on YouTube, um, try to use the comment section so that I know it's working. Last week it was shut off, and I'm not exactly sure if I turned it on correctly. So you never know till you try, right? Okay, so welcome to Between Meals Apologetics Podcast. My name is George Gray. I'm your host, and uh, this is where we talk about everything Bible. Um, got a couple things for you tonight as we continue on in this uh, conversation about the authority of God's Word. Um, I'm going to recommend a couple of books to you tonight if you're uh, interested in further study and really kind of getting involved in, in things in a little bit more detail. Um, one book is The Genesis Account. This is by Dr. Jonathan, Jonathan Sarfati. He is from the Institute for Creation Research, or sorry, for um, the creationministries.com. Hey, look at that. It's working really good. Thanks, Peggy. Um, so this is, I want to make sure you understand what I'm what I'm recommending here. This is not a book that's like trying to uh explain explain genesis in more of a story way um dr sarfati is a uh is a hebrew and he is also a ph phd geneticist i believe um or micro or a biochemist something like that um but uh this is a full on commentary on genesis 1 through 11 and this is just genesis 1 through 11 Okay, and you see how how thick this is. This is very comprehensive. This is a phenomenal commentary. Um, it is well worth getting. So um, the other one, um, if you want something that's a little bit more comprehensive across the idea of Genesis, the creation account, um, that might not be quite so heady reading, is this one, Replacing Darwin. Um, you can get either of these books through um, uh, creation.com, uh, Answers in Genesis, and probably the Institute for Creation Research as well. Um, so that's kind of going on there. So, um, hi, Betsy. How you doing? Uh, uh, Scott, good to see you here. Good that this is working correctly. Excellent. Um, so with tonight, um, what I'm doing tonight is if you paid attention on Facebook over the last couple of days, I put up a, um, a thumbnail about what I would be talking about tonight and that I totally did not, am not doing that message tonight. <laughs> I was talking to a friend earlier today and, uh, um, uh, I was kind of going back and forth between two things. Uh, I was supposed to speak at Faith Fellowship Christian School this morning, um, but with the snow everywhere, um, they got delayed, so that particular message got put on hold. And while I was going through it, um, I just feel like that particular talk is a little bit more relevant for um, for what we're talking about here and probably a better place to start. So what I'm going to do is take that message about the days of creation, put it on hold and sit it on the back burner and we'll do that uh, either next week or coming down the road. And tonight we're going to talk about something that's a little bit more, uh, I think a little bit more important. And that is why is this even important? So one of the things that I get questioned about a lot is why I am so rock ribbed about creation, about Genesis, about the importance of Genesis 1 through 11. Anyone who's known me for any length of time knows that I talk about this a lot, about the authority of Scripture, about the importance of Genesis 1 through 11, how important it is to us doctrinally, how important it, us, it is for us uh, authoritatively, um, how foundational um, or fundamental it is to us when it comes to Scripture. It is just such an important part of our, of our Bible. And a lot of people that I run into in the church 
don't see it. They just kind of, eh, you know, it's, it's, it's creation. Who cares? Um, you know, it's, that's for people like Ken Ham and all these other whack jobs who are going to build a gigantic arc out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, and that's just not the case. Um, there's a reason why these ministries exist and there's a reason why Genesis 1 through 11 is so important. So what I want to do is kind of talk about why this is such a big deal, um, tonight and how we can work into this, um, uh, into this understanding. Now, my life verse, the verse that is probably the most, that I'm probably the most committed to, um, and if you don't have a life verse, you should try to find one, one that guides you, it becomes your grounding principle. Um, and mine is First Peter 3, 15. It basically reads like this, but sanctify the Lord, uh, Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And the, the thing I really like about this is that always being ready, that always being ready to give a defense to anyone asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. See, hope is in us. We have hope. Uh, we have hope in us because we have Christ in us. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. So we have hope. Um, and when people see that, when people who don't have hope, hey, Tina, good to see you this morning. People who don't have hope, when they see that, they they want what you have. They want to know what's going on in your life. They want to know how they can get a hold of this hope that you have. And all too often, what you end up finding is a bunch of Christians who, when people say, hey, can you talk to me about this thing? They say things like, you should come to my church, or you should go talk to my pastor, or, well, you just got to trust in Jesus. Like, all those sound great, but they're not really good answers. So we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Um, and that means that we have a little work to do. <laughs> um, so what I do is on, on this channel, those of you who know, I, we focus on the process, what is called apologetics. And apologetics is not just some sort of debate tool. Apologetics has um, a lot of purposes. And the purposes that I, um, the reason why I teach these, uh, this is to first, to strengthen you as an individual believer by giving you the tools you need to help you clarify the details of what you believe and why. It's it's great to know what you believe. It's even great to have firm convictions on something. But if you don't know why you have those convictions, um, and if you don't know why those convictions are even accurate, then it doesn't matter. You can really, 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 really believe something to be true, but that does not make it right, good, or in line with God. Um, so we need to have tools given to us on how to approach and understand the Bible so that we can better prepare ourselves for this conversation. And the second one is to help us more convincingly share and defend the faith. Um, so sharing your faith is essential to a Christian. It's That's it, the primary purpose of everything that we do. Sadly, uh, a lot of Christians have no idea how to do it. Um, or worse, they do it badly. Uh, I would rather have someone say, just you should go talk to my pastor, than try to share their faith badly uh, in an unprepared way where they don't have any clue what they're talking about, because you actually make the gospel sound worse, um, which is, that sounded wrong by itself, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, what we need today are Christians who are prepared to deal with the challenges of our day. You think about some of the challenges of our day, uh, things like abortion, gender, um, uh, you know, um, sexuality, all of these uh, these topics that come up that we don't like to talk about because they're icky and no, I don't want to talk about this. This makes me feel gross. It doesn't make any difference. We should be prepared to give answers, at least biblical answers to help people work their way into that type of understanding. So, um, all right, so if you think about the idea of apologetics, it is not simply a debate tool, okay? Um, 
when you think about uh, apologetics, it is a process of thought. Apologetics is a process of thought that allows us to present our arguments in a logical, coherent, and convincing manner. Have you ever tr- had someone try to explain something to you? And it's, they may have given you all the information. You might be thinking this is happening right now. They may have given you all the information you need, but it is in such a jumbled mess that none of the pieces go together correctly. You know, it's kind of like getting, getting a 10,000 piece Lego kit uh, that's supposed to make something amazing, but there's no directions. So you just start randomly assembling things. You might put all the pieces together, but that doesn't mean you've come up with the picture of what you're supposed to have made. Um, sometimes we explain our faith in very much the same way. We kind of know what we want to talk about, but we haven't figured out a way to put it together. This is what apologetics helps us do, helps us put these things into a logical, coherent process. Um, okay, so the foundations of apologetics are found in application, not simply in knowledge or the uh, or the accumulation of knowledge. Wisdom is not found in the pursuit of information. And that that may sound backwards to you, but for someone to pursue wisdom, that does not mean they're pursuing knowledge or the the, the or just trivia, okay? Wisdom within the word of God does not necessarily equate to scripture memorization. You know, you can if you think about this, the devil has all the Bible memorized. There's a lot of people have who have huge portions of scripture memorized. That does not mean that they have any wisdom. Wisdom is in the application of the knowledge that you have. So apologetics is about learning to apply what you have and what you know and understand in a way that makes sense so that you can use the tools that you have to the best of their abilities. So um, in short, you could think about it this way. Apologetics makes you very hard to argue with, even if you're not the most read person on the planet. Um now, creation apologetics, which is where we're starting tonight, um, is not just teaching you about the difference between modern scientific issues and Darwinism and how they don't line up with the Bible, although a lot of that will happen. It's important to understand that you kind of got to learn some nerdy stuff. Personally, I kind of like the nerdy stuff, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing. But creation apologetics, if you think about this, it's a process of thought regarding the natural world, Okay. Um, that begins with the authority of uh, the, the re- authority and reliability of God's word. It is it, the process of, of thought regarding the natural world. So creation apologetics is about viewing the natural world according to God's word. Okay, now if you think about this, if God invented science and God created the world, then we should be able to validate his claims in scripture with what we see in the physical world. And the cool thing is, we can, um, if we just try. The problem is a lot of Christians don't even try. They just see a guy in a lab coat and they think he knows what he's talking about. But we forget that that guy in the lab coat has opinions too. And science by itself, uh, like bones and rocks and things, they don't come with labels. You don't take a bone out of the ground and it goes, hi, I'm 85 billion years old. That doesn't happen. The person doing the research has a presupposition that they're going to use. They're going to have a paradigm of thought that they're going to use that is going to help them interpret what it is they're finding. Christians have one, we have another. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, if you think about this, here's a question for you. What is the fastest growing belief system in our world? Scientific atheism. And that, that needs to be understood. Scientific atheism. It's the belief that, um, that the, uh, the physical world is all there is. Okay, that exclusively natural processes explain all things. There's no miracles. There's no faith. There's no there's no uh, prayer is a useless thing. Scientific atheism or naturalism 
focuses in on the natural world explains everything. And the problem is that's not even remotely close to true. Even up in observational life, that's not even true. There's so many things that go on that the natural world just can't explain. So faith comes in. The cool thing is you find that atheists and evolutionists still have faith. Um, they just don't like to use that word because it's like yucky to them. Um, so um, so if you think about this, the biggest reason for the growth of atheism in our world is their claim to have all of the answers to life's questions. What we see mostly in larger denominations is a race. <laughs> this is going to sound horrible, but it's a race to see who can compromise first. So scientific naturalism will put forth an idea and denominations, you can, you can watch as they scurry about trying to figure out how to compromise God's word to make the atheists feel better about their argument. Uh, and they, and then they call this progress. You know, oh, the church is learning. The church is growing. God learns. God grows. His word is an organic thing. So it changes with, with, with time. It's crazy. Some of the arguments that come up. But if you think about this, Psalm 11, 3, is very plain. Uh, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do, right? Um, and the foundation of all Christian apologetics is the authority of God's word. Um, now, when you approach God's word, you're going to have one of two views. You're going to have a paradigm of thought that is going to help you interpret what it is you're reading. And there's when it comes to the idea of creation and evolution, Darwinism and 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 uh, um, uh, and Genesis, there are only two views of this in the world. There are only two options. As to how this, how life came about. Um, and that is, you're either a random chemical accident or are you the, you're the intent of a creator. Uh, there's, there's no third option. You know, even if you want to start, if you, even if you want to invoke aliens, which some people do, it's called directed panspermia, which is just a weird word all by itself. Even if you're trying to do that, the aliens still would have had to come from somewhere. So you're still back to the same question. How did life arise? So it doesn't solve anything. It just pushes the question a little further down the road. But when you're dealing with the Christian worldview, the very for even the atheistic worldview, the very first question, in my opinion, that is the most important to know that you know that you know is the question, where did I come from? Where did I come from? When you answer that question, so many other questions answer themselves automatically. It just, it just, the, the, the dominoes just tumble down. If you answer the question, I come from the intentional act of a loving creator. If you think about other questions, does my life have purpose and meaning? Well, of course it does, because you were created for a purpose. You were created for a meaning. Do, you know, is there a sense of morality? Is there an absolute morality in the world? Of course there is, because the one who created me gets to set the rules, you know? Um, what's gonna happen to me when I, when I die? That's between the relationship that I have between me and my creator. You see, there's a very easy, easy, easy process to walk through. But now if you're, if you answer that question, I'm a, I'm a random chemical accident. I'm complicated pond scum. You know, I'm the, I'm the, uh, I'm the offspring of a large toad, what, however you want to look at it, then you're an accident. So when you think, does my life have meaning? Well, I don't know. Can, can, can an accident have meaning? No. Um, well, what's the purpose of my life? Nothing. You're an accident. Well, what's going to happen when I die? From nothing you came to nothing you go. You know, have fun while you can because the only thing waiting for you is darkness. I, I, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It's, just, it's crazy to me to even think like that. But this idea of the paradigm of thought 
whether or not you're going to answer that initial question, I come from the intentional act of a loving creator or I am the result of a random chemical accident has so much to do with how we see the world around us. And the atheist community knows this. They know this very well. They actually know it better than Christians do. Um, and they act and they move on this in, in intense ways. Think about this. This is a quote from Richard Dawkins, one of the most prominent atheists in the world. He has dedicated his life to fighting against, in his term, the Judeo-Christian God. He has dedicated his life to trying to disprove the existence of the Judeo-Christian God, of, of, of the God of the Bible. It's kind of interesting to dedicate your life to fighting against something that you don't think exists. But that's what he does. But here's a quote from him. It says, getting religious people to deny any form of supernatural creation and embrace evolution is the first step in getting them to walk away from their religious beliefs altogether. This is absolutely true, folks. This is absolutely true. This is one of the reasons why um, uh, public schools are pushing the teaching of, um, of, of evolutionary biology all the way into like preschool. There's, there's, there's books that there have, are being written now to introduce kids as, as early as preschool to evolutionary concepts because they know if you grow up with these evolutionary mindsets, there's a good chance you're not going to adopt the, in their mind, misguided religious beliefs of your parents. Um, and that is, that is their view. If you, if you don't, uh, don't believe me, look up people like Eugenie Scott, um, and, uh, uh, organizations that deal with textbooks in public school systems. They are absolutely against this, this process. So when you think about our paradigms and thought, there, there, there are two. Now, a paradigm is a typical pattern, uh, of something. It's a, it's a model. It's a worldview underlying the theories and methodology of a particular subject. So a paradigm is the, structure in your mind that is going to order other things in your mind it's going to put the it's going to put the dominoes in order so that you can so when you're thinking of something when you see something um and it doesn't matter what it is you know if your uh, if your paradigm is that i can you know putting sugar in my body is a sin believe me i it's not true, but I kind of wish it was because maybe I'd be thinner. But, you know, if, if that's your paradigm, whenever you see a Twinkie, all of a sudden you're going to be like, ah, I rebuke you, Twinkie. You know, that's your paradigm of thought. It's the worldview that you're going to use to look at the world around you. If you think about it, if I were to color my glasses purple, when I put my glasses on, then everything I look at is purple. Everything I look at has a purple tint to it. That's what a paradigm does to you. It's, a, it's another way of saying worldview. Now, the Darwinian paradigm is pretty simple. It starts like this. The Dar Darwinian paradigm is that the spontaneous uh, generation of all life from a single common ancestor. Let me say that one more time. The spontaneous generation of all life from a single common ancestor via undirected mutation and natural selection, aka you're a cosmic accident. Your life has no meaning. Your life has no purpose. Life is there there is no such thing as an absolute morality morality is purely subjective um there's no there's no grand plan and by the way when you die you're just you're, there's just nothing waiting for you so don't so don't worry about it you shouldn't fear death because it's just it's just blackness it's not like you have anything to fear that's that's the darwinian paradigm you came from nothing your life means nothing you return to nothing i don't know about you but that doesn't sound very fun to me uh, the Genesis paradigm is that the universe and everything in it was brought into existence 
through the intentional will of our creator God as outlined in the first chapters of the book of Genesis. That is the Genesis paradigm. Now, that life is the product of purposeful, meaningful intent, okay? Purposeful, meaningful intent. Um, this is the, the, the view that, li- that all life has meaning, okay? All life has meaning. All life has purpose, um, and an independent lasting value, you know, down to, uh, down to bacteria. Bacteria actually exists for a reason. It has a, it has a role to play in the existence of life and how things work. Um, now, if you think about this, excuse me, you have two choices and there really are only two choices. Believe in the word of God or believe in the word of man. Um, these two paradigms represent two very different schools of thought and both have profound implications in our lives and our decision making. Um, now there's an argument, uh, this, this argument is actually so heated that groups like the National Academy of Science, um, and if you're not familiar with them, the National Academy of Science is the group that actually puts their stamp of approval on scientific discovery. So you'd, you'd think that science would be free and open. It's not. It's, it's very much not. They actually have a statement they put out in their, in their own literature. Um, and I, I believe I have a, uh, um, a copy of it. I'm sorry. I didn't, didn't put it on my desk, but, um, uh, essentially it breaks down like this. The National Academy of Science and the National uh, Association of Science Teachers have both published commitments to refuse the recognition of any theory Research or discovery that contradicts or refutes Darwinism. This is a public stance that they take. Any research, any theory, any discovery that contradicts the Darwinian viewpoint, they will refuse to either give you funding or to get you published. Um, they will actually launch lawsuits against you to keep your information suppressed because they view it as dangerous. How is scientific discovery dangerous? How is it that the discovery of information, how did this, the discovery of how the natural world around us works, how is that dangerous? They know it's dangerous because when you back away from Darwinism, there is only one thing left, and that one thing that's left is a creator God. It's intelligent design. It means that there is something out there bigger, smarter, faster, and better than all of us that we will be answering to. So they have to fight against this which is unfortunate. It also lets you know that the people who are guiding the textbooks that your kids are going to be using in school are hardcore rock rib atheists, and they will not allow a uh, a viewpoint outside of that. It's really sad, but that's it's just it's just the truth of the world that we live in. Now, if you think about this, the authority of the church, the authority and the church. For many Christians and many Christians, Christian leaders, uh, this is a non-issue. People don't even, they don't even think this matters. You know, creation is not a salvation issue. And you know what? They're absolutely right. Creation is not a salvation issue. When you stand before God in judgment, he's not going to ask you, did you fully commit yourself to believing in the creation account as, as, as outlined in Genesis 1 through 11? Do you believe in the global flood? Do you believe in, in all this? That's not it. Salvation, forgiveness of sin, is based off of the faith of in Christ and his work on the cross. So you have to ask the question, why does this matter? Why why am I even having this conversation? If if it's not a salvation issue, then why am I having this conversation? And the reason why we have this conversation is because the the real issue with this is so much bigger than than people realize. Just like Richard Dawkins says, when you start to chip away 
at the belief in some of, of the creation account, when you start to chip away at the authority of God's word, you undermine that word, and eventually you can get people to walk away from their faith altogether. So let me let me show you what I mean by that. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, a, a excuse me a couple of pictures here. Excuse me. So how many of you know who Charles Templeton is? So this is Charles Templeton. Um, he's the guy right there. Now you may not know who the gentleman immediately to the right is, the one looking down on that plane. That is Billy Graham. So Billy Graham and Charles Templeton used to tour the world doing evangelism crusades. Now the, the basic understanding was that Charles Templeton was better at it than Billy Graham. He the, the the viewpoints was he was a better preacher. He was he was he was more um more impactful in the altar calls. He had huge um uh, numbers of people that were following him and it was I mean he was just an amazing success. And what ended up happening is he got to this point where he was successful and he thought he needed to increase his um uh his credentials. See, he hadn't gone to, he hadn't gone to college and things like that. He just, just went, just went into ministry. And so he wanted to go to college and get a degree so that he could have some credentials behind him. Um, so he thought that would help him in his ministry. So he went off to, I believe it was Penn State and he started taking classes and part of those classes were evolutionary biology. Well, through that process, he completely walked away from his faith. And you think about this. This is a guy that toured with Billy Graham that everyone thought was more anointed than Billy Graham. He goes off to college, and all it took, all it took was evolutionary biology, basic level, because this, this was a long time ago, basic level evolutionary biology. And once he understood that creation couldn't have been real, the the logical process played out in his mind. If Genesis isn't real, then we don't know what in the Bible is real. If God didn't create, then we don't we don't have any any basis because we don't have any basis for for the garden. We don't have any basis for sin. We don't have any basis for Jesus coming. We don't have any basis for the cross. And he deduced that this whole thing was a sham, and he walked away from his faith. He actually became an a uh, an evangelist for atheism. Um, and here's here's a couple of other things to uh, to look at for him. So this is a quote from him. He says, "Should one continue to base one's life on a system of belief that, for all its occasional wisdom, he's talking about Christianity and frequent beauty, is demonstrably untrue." He's relating Christianity to evolution. He's saying it's it's demonstrably untrue. What he's saying is that evolution has proven that you guys don't have a leg to stand on. <sighs> Problem is, he's very, very wrong. He never bothered to look into the science on either side. And, and, uh, to his, uh, a little bit to his defense, during the days where he really walked away from his faith, creation ministry within the church was really not very, it was not very robust. There was not a lot of it there. And most of the people were extraordinarily uninformed. It was, it's a very sad thing. Later on in life, he wrote this book, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Think about this for a second. This is a guy who toured with Billy Graham. And he's admitting, he, he's actually publishing material to help lead people away from the authority of God's word. He has led thousands away from the church. Thousands. What did it take? It is very sad. It is very sad, Peggy. Um, all it took was for him to let go of Genesis. 
Now, is this going to be the same thing for everybody? Of course not. Um, you know, there are some people who can have this challenge. There's some people who will never understand Genesis and their faith is going to be fine. But what we can see and what you can, you, you can very easily see around the world in the global church is the denominations that have let go of Genesis. The denominations that have let go of the authority of God's word have all of them spiraled out of control with massive rejection over a lot of the major doctrines of our faith. They've they've walked away from biblical morality. They've walked away from big biblical sexuality. The, some of them have even embraced things like abortion. How do we how do we even justify that? We justify it by getting rid of the reason why it was there to begin with. If God's word is no longer authoritative, then everything else is up for uh, it, it is up for up for debate. And what we've seen is that it, it it works out. It's a sad thing. Now, this is not only something that happened to him. This is this is playing out today in a lot of major churches. Uh, one person that I speak about constantly because he was at one point someone that I looked up to. Um, I read a bunch of his books and. and uh, I can't put a date on when this began to happen because this may have been something in his mind for a long time, but Andy Stanley, pastor of North Point Community Church in, in uh, uh, I think it's Atlanta, Georgia, I, I can't even listen to him anymore. You know, he has so intensely compromised himself on the authority of God's word that I, I don't under, I, I have no idea how he, how he even stays in the pulpit, but I'm going to show you two video clips from him. One is where he's declaring Genesis and creation a myth. And the second one is where he's encouraging people to just let go of the Old Testament because the Old Testament makes faith too hard. You think about how those two things go together. One of the first things he did was let go of Genesis. And the second thing he did was basically let go of the entire Old Testament. So let me, uh, let me move on to, to these and we'll see, uh, I'll be with you in a minute. I think that we have done previous generations, especially of children and high school students, a terrible disservice by the way we talk about the Bible. I remember my freshman English class at Georgia State University. We were talking about literature. It was a, it was a literature class, and one of the pieces of literature was the Bible. And my teacher was not an anti-religious person, but began to talk about the myth, the creation myth, other creation myths. And without meaning to, began to slowly dismantle the faith of every single person in there who had grown up in church. When she was finished, all of us were convinced that there are many creation myths. The story of Adam and Eve is a creation myth. It's one of many. Let's move on to the next topic. Well, because of the way the scripture had been presented to me, and probably everybody in that class, it's a house of cards. So as soon as you pull out one piece of the Bible to say, this is a myth, well then immediately it's like, well, what else in there? Isn't it? Mm -hmm. The foundation of our faith is not the scripture. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is something that happened in history. And the issue is always, who is Jesus? That's always the issue. The scripture is simply a collection of ancient documents that tells us that story. So when we talk about the scriptures, and especially the um, reliability of the scriptures, I think any time that we can tie the Old Testament especially back to Jesus, we have done everybody, Christians and non-Christians alike, an incredible service by letting them know, you know what? You can believe that the Adam and Eve story is a creation myth. So what? Who is Jesus? Here's what they say to you and to me as a Christian. 
Peter, James, Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures. And my friends, we must as well. And I'll tell you why. It's actually the same reason they did. Because we must not make it difficult for those Gentiles who are turning to God. They didn't. We shouldn't either. The faith of the next generation may depend on our willingness and our ability to get this right. The faith of your neighbor may depend on it. And who knows? Someday your faith may depend on it. That's pretty sad. That is pretty sad indeed. So he says, who is Jesus? It's an interesting question for someone who just called the Bible a collection of myths. Uh, I'm sorry, the Old Testament, a collection of myths, right? He's saying that the apostles distanced themselves from the Old Testament teachings, which is not only historically untrue, it's obviously untrue. Anyone who reads the passage in Acts that he's talking about knows that that had nothing to do with letting go of the Old Testament scripture. It had things, it had, it was letting go of things like asking people to be circumcised to be a believer. It was, it was letting go of different points of the law. Exactly, Betsy. Uh, the gospel according to Andy Stanley. I'll, I'll stick with the Bible. That'll be, that'll be great. But you think about these things. And he's, he's saying, you know, all it took was his English teacher to tell him that the creation story in the Bible was a myth or that it was taken from other, other groups. Never once did he actually come back and question that and try to actually find, find out whether or not those things are true. If all it took is an entry level English professor to get you to walk away from the authority of God's word, I can only deduce that you never had faith in it to begin with. If it was that easy to do, then you either had only had your faith that was handed to you by someone else, which is sad, or you've never spent time actually trying to figure out what you believe and why you believe it. You've never actually gotten into the Bible for yourself. You've just been handed these little bits of truth. And when people hand you little bits of truth that you haven't actually went and discovered on your own, you have nothing to actually base your own faith on. And then when someone comes and starts questioning those little, those little breadcrumbs that you've been fed, you don't have any, you don't have anything to substantiate it. You don't have any way of saying, well, no, I believe this because, because all you have are these little crumbs in your hands. And every time you try to open, every time you try to, try to get a hold of something, try to get a hold of truth, you can't even, you have no idea where it is. It's a sad reality, but this is all too common in the church today. Think about this. Jesus came to pay the price for our sin. Is this a true statement or not? Of course it is. Uh, we know this is a true statement because that's the reason that he went to the cross. Now, can you make a Bible-based theological argument for that statement? Yeah, I can. It's easy. All I got to do is go back to Genesis. Huh. Um, I can make a, I can try to make a case that Jesus came and died on the cross from the Gospels. But if I remove Genesis, I can't make a theological case for why he went to the cross. You see, without the Old Testament, all you know is that this guy was born, was a good teacher and a moral man, and then they killed him. And then they claimed that he rose from the dead. Well, if we're willing to, if we're willing to agree on virgin birth 
right? Virgin birth, death on a cross, and resurrections. Um, why is it that the rest of it is so hard to believe? Why is it the rest of it is so difficult to take? And it really what it comes down to is really simple. The Old Testament is filled with examples of what makes God angry and what makes God happy. What we do that puts us in line with God and what we do that takes us out of line with God, how we win God's favor, how we bring God's wrath. The Old Testament is filled with these examples. So if you let it go, well, all you have is a happy-go-lucky Jesus. J- Jesus is Jesus is is love. God is love. God loves you just the way you are. Jesus came to save your soul. God wants you in heaven. You see, you don't have to have responsibility. You don't have to have accountability, and you don't have to have any standards of life at all because, hey, Jesus is all about love, man. Jesus is also about bringing forgiveness to a lost and dying world, which means if we needed Jesus to bring us salvation because it was not attainable for us on our own, that means that there is a judgment waiting for us. That means there are standards that we will live by. When Even in the New Testament, when Jesus says work, when we're told, I'm sorry, when we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, um, fear and trembling, what are we afraid of? that would make you tremble. And what we'd be afraid of is actually very simple, that God means what he says every single time. God is not joking around. He's not playing. He's not trying to be, uh, he's not trying to be everyone's friends. He has basically said, you were lost. You had no way to get to me. I have made a way for you to get to me. Now you walk across the bridge. You walk across the bridge that is the cross that my, that I put my son on for your benefit. This part's up to us. Now, if someone's a Calvinist and they just lost their mind because I gave you know humanity a choice, but we'll deal with Calvinism down the road another time. Uh, yeah, exactly. The cross is offensive because it uh, because it confronts the evil of us. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, okay, so um, when we put Genesis Genesis in the same category as fiction or metaphor, um, what we do is we undermine the authority of God's word. And now, if you look at the atheist community. If you look at the naturalist, naturalistic, scientific atheism, atheist community, what you're going to find is actually something very, very simple. They almost never come against the virgin birth, right? They don't come against Christ on the cross. They typically never come against the resurrection. They may say, eh, I don't believe in that, but they never really fight against it because those are things that we tend to focus on as New Testament Christians. What they always go against is this crazy creation account from the Bible. This, this nutty creation account that these Christians keep hanging on to, uh, because they don't know any better. They're so scientifically inept and incapable that they just can't put, they just can't take this, this, fictional thing out of their mind and they just can't get with the times because now we're smarter than they were back in biblical times and we don't need these myths to give us hope. We have real hope now that we can find in the scientific method. Okay, yeah. We'll deal with that a little bit more down the road. Um, so, the foundation of our faith 
is absolutely the infallibility and the reliability of God's word. Because if God's word can't be trusted, then we have nothing to base our life and our future on. So without the authority and the reliability of God's word, Jesus is nothing more than a good man who created a cult because he somehow survived a crucifixion. That's essentially Jesus without the reliability, without the reliability of God's word. Now you think about this. John 5, 46 and 47 reads like this. It says, for if you believe Moses, this is Jesus talking. He says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he, meaning Moses, wrote about me. Wow. Now think about this. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is Jesus saying, if you believe me, you will believe Moses. Now, let me ask you a quick question. Who wrote the book of Genesis? Who wrote Genesis? Who wrote the creation account? Uh, it was was Moses, wasn't it? So if we believe Moses, then we'll believe Jesus. And we believe Jesus, then we should believe Moses. Well, that's unfortunate. Well, how about this one? Second Peter 3, verses 3 through 7. It says, first, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, excuse me, to scoff because that's what scoffers do, living according to their own desires, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Scoffers are going to say things are going along the way they always have been. Nothing has changed because everything's as it was. Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They're saying since the, since the beginning of the world. Nothing has changed. All the systems are the same. They willfully ignore this. Check this out. Long ago, the heavens and the earth were brought about from water and through water by the word of God. That is the creation account. Through these waters, the world of that time perished and was flooded. They willfully ignore this. Now, um, I didn't put it on here, but on verse 7 in that same passage, it says, By that same word, the present heavens and the earth were stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. It says, scoffers will come in the last days, and they are going to scoff, and they are going to ridicule you about two things, creation and a global flood. It's interesting how many last days prophecies people hang on to and they love and they just get, they just get, they just, they just want them so much. Oh, last days prophecies. Ooh, eschatology. Oh, it's so good. But then when you throw this at them, you go, ah, yeah, but you know what? No one really believes that anymore. That's just craziness. We don't need to believe that creation stuff because it's not a salvation issue. Even though what we're told here really simple is that people will come scoffing at these two things. Now, here's the interesting part about this passage as well. The scoffers, if you read the passage, they're not outside the church. They're inside the church. In the last days, scoffers will come from inside my church. Because that's, uh, you, you, it's, we'll get into it one day. I don't have time to get into it tonight. But from the language, this is, this could only be people within the church. My own people are going to not believe my words is essentially what this passage is saying. They're not going to believe that I created the world. They're not going to believe that I destroyed the world with a flood. This is insane. Yes, exactly. The last days uh, will be like the days of Noah. No one will believe 
that God would do what he says he does. They're the two most commonly rejected biblical events by denominations and non-denominational by the denominational and non-denominational alike. The account of creation and the and the, the global flood in Genesis 1 through 11 as I said last week, there are so many people in the church who would just love to start they would just love to start the Bible at Genesis chapter 12 and get rid of all that other stuff because they they just, they don't like what it says. But what we forget and what we often don't pay attention to is that those 11 chapters are so foundational to our faith. They're so foundational to our history. They're so foundational to, foundational to who we are, how we got here. And they, they, they can build your faith to such a degree if you just let them. But we find it easier to just let them go because we don't want to upset people who don't have the same views that we have, which is just a sad thing. So you remember the issue is not about believing in or not believing in the process of creation. It's believing in or not believing in the authority of Scripture. And as we're going to see as we move forward, the more you're willing to compromise on the authority of Scripture, the easier it is to compromise on other things. The more you're willing to compromise on things like the doctrine of creation, the more you're going to be willing to compromise on moral issues, the more you're going to be willing to compromise on on issues of sexuality and identity and things like gender. All these things you see, these churches around the world, just overwhelmingly willing to just let go of everything that God that, that, that God said, that God's word tells us is true. They're so willing to let go of all of this stuff it's like it never meant anything to him to begin with, which is an immen- immensely sad thing. So let's go back to Mr. Dawkins. Getting religious people to deny any form of supernatural creation and embrace evolution is the first step in getting them to walk away from their religious beliefs altogether. The atheist community knows that if they can get people in the church to let go of Genesis, eventually they will let go of their faith. Maybe not all of them, but a huge portion of them. And we can see this playing out in churches. We can see this playing out in the young. This is one of the reasons why 88% of young people, when they get out of school and they leave the home, 88% leave the church. 88% folks leave the church never to return. If you were to send your kids anywhere, take 10 random kids and send them anywhere, say, hey, by the way, we're sending their, sending them off so that, so that, so that the government can work on them for a period of time and nine of them aren't going to make it. One of them will, will make it back to us. We would never send kids out to do that, but this is what happens every single day in the public school system. And make sure that I clarify something right here. We're not talking about evil teachers. We're talking about a theistic education program. We're talking about a deliberate attempt to try to train any kind of biblical standards out of your kids. That's essentially what this is. Uh, people like Eugenie Scott, who's the head of the, one of these groups, um, other people from the um, National Academy of Science and the Board of uh, Science Teachers, they are dedicated to this process of doing everything that they can 
to help these kids let go of the religious beliefs of their parents because they know, they know if they can get you to buy into this, to this evolutionary process, they can get you more than likely, essentially nine out of 10, they can get you to walk away from your faith altogether. This is a scary thing, folks. It really is a scary thing. And this is why, this is why people like myself, do this because we believe this is one of the most important doctrinal positions that we can ever take in the church. This is this is so foundational to what we do. There's so much that's here. We forget. We 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 look at the New Testament like it's the only thing that makes any it makes any difference, but we forget that God chose to give us his entire word. He chose to give us everything from the beginning to the end. He told us how everything starts. He promised us what would happen in the middle, and he told us what was going to happen at the end. We have the whole story, but many of us choose to just believe the last third of it. It's a scary thing, but this is also what we're promised is going to happen in the church in the end days, and I do believe we're in the end days. Um, How it plays out in our own lives can't really say, but that's the way that works. Um, I'm going to wrap up here. If anyone has any questions, you can go ahead and throw them up in there because the comments are actually working tonight. If there's anything I ran over too fast, because sometimes when I have a big subject like this, I try, uh, I go a little bit too quick um, when I'm uh, uh, when I'm jumping through these things. So if you have any questions, I'd be happy to deal with them. If not, I will bid you a farewell. I know it takes a few seconds for things to get to you and you might want to type. So I'm going to give you a couple seconds. I'm going to take a drink, but I will stay on and answer questions for as long as you guys would like to stay on. The difficult part is I can't tell if anyone's typing or anything. So I'm only going to wait a few more seconds, and then I'll let y'all go. Uh, remember, the only dumb question is the one that's not asked. <laughs> All right, I'm going to call it a night. That was good. That was fun. Oh, wait. Ah, thanks. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um have I been listening to it? Uh, I have not. Um, so Betsy just asked if I've been listening to any of Jimmy Evans' turning point messages. I have actually not. Uh, I have listened to – well, actually, I should probably clarify that. Um, Jimmy Evans has taught the tipping point message a couple of different times. Um, he hasn't done it just once. The, the one he's doing recently is is a – basically, he's done this before. I have seen the first ones, um, the first set, and I do have the book. Um, I think he has an, an amazing take on it. Um, I know it's not a popular, <laughs> it's not a popular take, um, cause he makes some, uh, he makes some statements in there that are, that, that honestly a lot of people today, um, especially when you talk about the, um, the DNA and heredity of the Nephilim and things like that. When you start getting into that, some people just, just tune you off cause they think you're a whack job. The problem is if you actually look into it and you start getting into other resources, they're very good points as to how this breaks out. Um, and what people don't like is anything that makes them feel awkward. <laughs> um, so things like talking about giants and talking about, um, um, uh, people way back in early days with a high level of technology, which is really what we're talking about. Um, people don't like that because it sounds weird, but 
if you actually take a good look at history and you start looking at some of the not necessarily mainstream uh, opinions, so there's a reason why things are called mainstream. That's because that's where uh, mainstream science and mainstream history and archaeology is where all the money is. So when you go to school for archaeology or for science or uh, for a scientific field, you don't just get like employed afterwards. Oh, you're a biologist? Well, come to my biology place. That's not how it works. You have to get into different research projects, and um, there's there's only a few ways to do it, and most of it is through grants and things like that. And so the mainstream of science is where the money is and where the security is. So – the 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 bulk of people are attracted to that uh, for obvious reasons. You know, you go to school for something, you wanna you wanna make money at it, and that's what you want to do. So you you kind of get into the mainstream. I like to listen to the guys that are on the on the not on the way outside in the fringe, but the guys who are ju- who are who are off who are, who are just outside of the mainstream. I like to listen to them because they're willing to look at things just a little bit differently, and people like Jimmy Evans will take these views and and at least put them out there and say, "Hey, look, you know, this is these are some discoveries that we've had that should be, you know, honestly, that should be looked at significantly. We we should pay more attention to this." You know, um, I was actually just watching a uh, a little documentary a couple days ago about um, gigantic footprints that are found all over the world. One of them was like 13 feet long, um, you know, and you start looking at these things like, okay, you know, 13 foot long footprint, whatever, whatever, until you see a picture of it and you realize that's like actually a footprint. That's, that's insane. That is absolutely insane. But when you start looking at other things around the world, um, structures and, and, uh, uh, temples and things that were built, using stones that are so heavy that we don't even know we couldn't even move them today and still keep them together you know some of the, some of the stones used in just say the pyramids um you're talking 200 tons of sandstone we can't move that today without breaking it so there's this idea that 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 we're the smartest people that ever lived and and unfortunately that's just not the case you know we're just we're just you know after the after the flood things things changed technology had to move in a different direction but you know there's 1500 years of 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 human existence before that time so there are there are things about our own history that we don't like and people like Jimmy Evans brings them up and I, I really like a lot of the views that he, he looks at. Um, some of them I think he goes a little far, um, but honestly, not many. <laughs> um, and that's probably because I'm a nerd and I enjoy the scientific side of things. Um, but, uh, yeah, he does, he does a good job with it. Um, he's, he's obvious, you can tell he's obviously very well studied on this particular topic. Um, but, uh, yeah, he does a really good job with it. Um, he's, uh, uh, he's an interesting guy all by himself at the same time. Um, he loves the Lord and just wants to do well by, uh, by God. So it's kind of hard to, hard to argue with that. But, uh, that's a long answer to a simple question, Betsy, and I apologize. Yes, I have listened to them. I think he does a really good job with it. Um, I'm not a person who loves eschatology or end times teaching because I don't think anyone is ever going to get it right. Um, I think if anyone got it right, God would do something different because he tells us in his word that we're never going to figure this out. And I think by the time we do, uh, by the time things come to an end, 
and we all can see exactly how everything played out, none of us are going to care <laughs> because we'll all be with we'll all be with Jesus. So it won't matter anyway. Uh which is which, you know, hey, that's that's the goal, you know. That's uh, uh that's the end goal. So um yeah, thank you guys all for being here. Remember to uh like and subscribe. Um, if you, uh, if you were noticing tonight, I did turn the live stream on, uh, to my ministry Facebook page. Um, I got a couple of requests for that because there, I mean, the Facebook page exists for the ministry. So it was, I had to admit that it's really difficult to kind of not do this at the same time. I'm trying to stick with YouTube. So if you're watching on, on, uh, on Facebook, please, um, um, follow the YouTube link that'll be up a, uh, a little later. Uh, subscribe to that, and that's that's really where uh, I'm trying to focus to uh, to to grow this ministry in the channel. Uh, I know pulling back from all the other places that we viewed um, took its toll, and I, I knew that would happen. But it's still a better platform to build on than Facebook is um, for. I, I hope obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, so there you go. Um, thank you guys very much for tonight. I love being here with you. It's so great that everyone can comment. That's fantastic. Uh, I hope you guys have a great night. I will see you all Sunday. Have a, well, I might see you online Sunday or I'll see you here. If you haven't gone to the church and signed up for a live, uh, in-person service, please do so if you want to come. Um, cause that is, that is really important. So there you go. Have a great night. Love you guys. <laughs> Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>